0: For some of us, it might feel like a strange time to be focusing on the Trinity. Does this purportedly abstract doctrine really matter as a nation grieves yet another devastating death of an unarmed black man at the hands of a police officer? How does perichoresis, a theological term used to describe the relationship between the persons of the Trinity, this mutual indwelling, how does perichoresis speak to national and now international unrests and protests? What does the hypostatic union have to say to those who find themselves passionately calling for systemic reform of American institutions that perpetuate racism? What does the Trinity have to do with any of these things? What does the Trinity have to say to those who disagree with these protests? How does the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity actually help us now? This is not a new question. In fact, it is an ancient one. Henry de Lubac, the influential 20th century French Catholic theologian, comments on this powerfully in his small book, The Christian Faith, which introduces the Apostles' Creed to new Christians. We do not always know how to make sense of the Trinity. As de Lubac says, we do not always know how to embrace the most pregnant truth, which must slowly produce its fruit within us. Impatient as we are, we would like to understand immediately, or rather in our own short-sighted pragmatism, if we are not shown practical applications for it right away, we declare the Trinity to be abstract, unassimilable, unrealistic, an empty shell, a hollow theory with which there would be no point in burdening ourselves. He goes on, Now we must really be convinced that when we allow ourselves to indulge in such thoughts, it is we who are thus living superficially, outside of ourselves. The Christian who does not trust the fruitfulness of revealed truth, who consents to interest himself or herself in it only to the degree to which he perceives the benefit in advance, who does not consent to let himself be grasped and modeled by it, Such a Christian does not realize of what light and power he has deprived himself. These are powerful words that if we try to make the Trinity into some pragmatism, some practical tool, we are at great risk of depriving ourselves of the Trinity's light and power, of depriving ourselves of its mystery. But even if it is something we should pay attention to, even if it is worth us celebrating the Trinity this Sunday of all Sundays, can we even make sense of the mystery? Can we be grasped by it? Can we behold the light and power of the living God? As John Wesley once said, Bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. How can we begin to comprehend this unity, one God, three persons? How can we make sense of the one God who is both the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis 1, as we read this morning, and the resurrected human, Jesus of Matthew 28, who saves us from sin and death, sends out his disciples to proclaim the gospel and baptize others in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How can we grasp that the same Jesus Christ is both the Son of the Father and also one with the Father? How can we begin to fathom that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, present with his friends at meals, to break bread, laugh, share conversations, and the same one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one in whom all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We may never fully understand, but the little that we can grasp of our God's deep love for us, the more we are drawn to worship the triune God. As we prayed in our collect this morning, You, O God, have given to us your servant's grace to acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith, O Lord. Keep us steadfast in this worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory. May we one day see you in your one and eternal glory, O God. We must continue that search. St. Catherine of Siena is a good guide for us, the 14th century saint. Her sainthood is recognized by Anglicans and Catholics alike and other Christians. She was the first woman to be made a doctor of the church by, uh, by the Roman Catholics in the 1970s. Doctors are theologians, Christian thinkers of greatest importance for the life of the church. There's only been 36 doctors in two millennia. And one of the reasons she has been named a doctor of the church is the way that she seeks to understand the triune God and articulate this understanding perhaps as well as anyone. Eternal God, she says, eternal Trinity. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. The more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an even greater hunger and I grow more famished for your light. I desire you above all. I desire to see you above all, the true light as you really are. I have tasted and seen the depth of your mystery and the beauty of your creation with the light of my understanding, she says. I have clothed myself with your likeness and I have seen what I shall be. Eternal Father, you have given me a share in your power and the wisdom that Christ claims as your own, as his own. And your Holy Spirit has given me the desire to love you. St. Catherine just pours out her love for the triune God as best she can in human words and perhaps as best as anyone can, helping us do the same. But Christians, be wary. Praising this triune God is a dangerous thing. It might change you. In this way, contemplating the doctrine of the Trinity and worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is as deeply relevant to our daily lives as anything possibly can be, just as it has always been. Charles Spurgeon once said, Can any man pry into the mystery of the Trinity without great risk? What is this risk, we might ask? What does prying into the mystery of the Trinity do to us? How does it expose us? St. Catherine says a couple more words about this. Eternal Trinity, Godhead, mystery as deep as the sea, you could give me no greater gift than the gift of yourself. For you are a fire ever burning and never consumed, which itself consumes all the selfish love that fills my being when we begin to truly comprehend, to truly look into and peer into the depths and beauty and love of our triune God and to make sense of this mystery, the way we live is completely transformed. God consumes all the selfishness, all the selfish love that fills our being. This is what happened to St. Paul. His life was transformed when he met the triune God on the road to Damascus he understands that seeing the triune God consumes all the selfish love that fills our being. This explains his words in our reading from 2 Corinthians Corinthians 13 this morning. He blesses the Corinthians in the name of the triune God at the end. And he calls them to examine yourselves, he says, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. The Corinthian church has been damaged by following leaders who claim to be apostles, but have turned many of them from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul has attempted again and again in in three letters and at least one visit to address these problems. We only have two of those letters. But the misguided group within the church of Corinth is still convinced that their way is the right one. For us as Christians who contemplate the Trinity, the one God who as we see him, begins to consume all the selfishness that fills our being. We know that we are capable of having similarly misguided desires, and we too must examine ourselves. And not only do we, should we examine ourselves, we want to examine ourselves when we see and behold the glory of the Trinity. This brings us back to that original question I posed about the Trinity and its connection to social upheaval in the wake of George Floyd's death. How does the Trinity matter for us here and now? Millions of Americans and people around the world are crying out in pain. They want change. Black Americans especially say that many white Americans don't understand their plight, cannot fully understand their plight. They don't we don't understand what it is to feel unsafe around police, how life is impacted by mass Incarceration and inequity. And the question is what is our response? How do Christians respond to this mess after we have beheld the mysterious power and love of the triune God who created us and saved us and sustains us? How do we respond as the love of God consumes all of the selfish love that fills my being? We do as Paul exhorts we examine ourselves, we test ourselves. We assume that we might not be seeing rightly. We have been blind before and we will be blind again. So we might be blind now. We are not filled with malice, fear, defensiveness. That is not of God. But as Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 13, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. We strive for restoration. We test ourselves. I think right now of uh, a video that I saw this week as I've been examining myself and testing myself and considering are there things that I personally have missed when it comes to um, the state of our society and people who feel oppressed. I saw this this video of a um, a viral video, so many of you may have seen it this week. It was a video of uh, three black men, one in the 40s, 50s, Years old another about thirty one another was a sixteen year old kid, and the first two the the forty five year old the thirty one year old are arguing passionately with love, but also passionately, with a little bit of anger thrown in and the older man says um, that he 's angry he doesn 't think peaceful protests will do anything he doesn 't think it will have any impact he says he 's done it his whole life he 's probably been walking in that stream that MLK helped pioneer, among many others, of of peaceful protest. But for him, he's angry because he doesn't see any change. And the 31-year-old is yelling at him because he says, it can't be looting, that can't be the answer, it can't be violence. And then the 31-year-old grabs the the 16-year-old out of the crowd and kind of grabs him by um, his neck collar a little bit and looks him in the eyes. And he says, we've been trying to do this our whole lives, um, this older man, I, myself, this 45-year-old, me as a 31-year-old, we've been trying to make sense of this. We've been trying to point out injustices. We haven't felt safe. Um, and he starts crying, and he looks at him and says, um, we believe you can do this. You have to find a way, because we can't find a way. It's a, a really powerful video, a very deeply emotional. And if I, I'm being honest, I just cannot begin to understand this pain. Some of us at All Saints might, but I can't. Many are probably like me. I've never lived with this kind of fear. And um, I'm brought to tears when I think about um, my son and knowing that I I can't imagine ever needing to look at him in the eyes like that um, when he grows older and and communicate this level of grief and try to call him as a 16-year-old or however old he will be in that moment to to this level of responsibility. I, I don't have a solution to these problems and I don't fully understand them or comprehend them. And like many of you, I'm also caught up in conflicting feelings. At times I might feel attacked. I know some of you might feel attacked when issues of white supremacy are brought up. But there may be a real significant problem here. And Paul calls us to examine ourselves. What is going on? This reminds me too of my three-year anniversary as a deacon, which passed a few weeks ago. And on that three, on that, the anniversary of my ordination, both as a priest and deacon, I return to the ordinal, to the text that was read during the liturgy um, of my ordination. When the bishop, especially the exhortation, when the bishop looks at a new uh, priest and new deacon and charges that person, that man or woman, with uh, certain words, share in the humility of Christ read the gospel, proclaim Christ, instruct young and old in the catechism, preach, baptize, assist in public worship, administer the sacrament, and at the very end, it is the deacon's office to encourage and equip the household of God to care for the stranger, to embrace the poor and helpless, and to seek them out so that they may be relieved. There is an active pursuit of problems, active pursuit of those who are suffering, It doesn't matter what we may think of this problem. It doesn't matter if we might agree with it or not. As Christians, as people who have encountered the triune God, who this God has begun to purge selfishness from our lives, begun to do that slowly, but also has drawn us more into the mystery of himself, we cannot help but actively seek out and try to understand these problems and to love those who are poor, those who are hurting. In this process, I think we might be surprised. I think we might realize that we have a lot to learn from these people. I did this a little bit this week, and something like Black Lives Matter slogans that I see all over the place, trying to understand more, I came across this, uh, this sign that was written by a young girl um, that was all over the Internet, this image that said, you know, this is a young black girl. She says, We said Black Lives Matter. We never said only Black Lives Matter. We know all lives matter, of course white lives matter, she's suggesting. Of course blue lives matter, of course the police matter. But we just need your help because black lives matter for black lives are in danger. I think trying to search and understand has helped me have deeper compassion. And I don't fully understand, but I do know as a Christian that I need to seek. I need to seek understanding and I need to love my neighbor. Remember that Jesus calls us to this kind of self-examination as Paul says, for building up, not for tearing down. It is not out of fear or anxiety or destroying us. It is for building us up. Also remember, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, as Paul says. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Those who behold the triune God, who worship him, We aim for restoration. And this is the astounding thing about saints like St. Catherine. Her writing about the Trinity is stunning in its adoration and love and theological integrity as she just pours out these words of love towards God. But Catherine did not just remain in her cloister. She did not just remain in the sanctuary worshiping on Sunday. More hours of her life were dedicated to worshiping the Triune God than any of us. But she was also living the life of a deacon, seeking out those who were poor and oppressed by social societal injustices. She visited the poor in hospitals and their homes. She cared for them physically, ministered to them spiritually. She sought the light of Christ in them, even as she bore the light of Christ to them. And she dictated hundreds of letters to state and church officials. Calling on them to use their authority for the good of the people rather than abusing their power. St. Catherine lived the life of someone who beheld the Trinity and was transformed by that mysterious and abundant love of God. May it consume all the selfish love that fills our being. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.